0: Hi my name's Shannon and welcome to my podcast. I'm just your typical 19 year old uni student who's trying to kick her goals, survive living out of home and create the most balanced healthy lifestyle. Join me in my themed episodes where we delve into all things young adults often face where I give just six tips tricks or favorites you can easily introduce and integrate into your life to get a handle. I'm passionate about psychology, business, wellness, fitness, and so much more. So be prepared to come along on this journey of me blabbing on about topics I love and rants from yours truly. Happy listening. Hello everyone. Thank you again for tuning in for another episode of Top Six with Shaz. Today I'm joined with a I'm not a special guest. <laughs> Um, I'm with Liam, my older brother.
1: Your only brother. My
0: only brother, yeah, sadly. Um, do you want to introduce yourself because it'll make sense to talk about what we're going to talk about today.
1: I'm a personal trainer.
0: (laughs) So Liam has been, um, you started with CrossFit, didn't you?
1: Yeah, so I started CrossFitting in 2014. Gosh. Alright, 2014, I... Decided that I wanted to become a coach, so I got my qualifications probably six months later. And then after that, I became a coach uh, just at a, the gym I was training at. After that, I, uh, within six months of that, everyone that worked there left, so I became the head coach. <laughs> I ran that alone for a couple of years. I then got the opportunity to start my own gym with uh, an old client. As an investor, so I did that for two and a half years, and now I'm doing more online stuff.
0: Yeah, so definitely like the way this global pandemic has happened, you've definitely had to like adapt and change how you coach, um, and the clientele that you have. But at the moment, you are currently working on online programming and building a clientele base that's all beginners. Would you say that are all starting to like we have the aim of like building muscle and getting stronger and fitter, and are starting from possibly like less experience would you say
1: yeah well my well I mean currently my 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 group that I'm uh, targeting at the moment is my clients right my current clients which are people from my gym because obviously all the gyms are closed so I'm just programming for people that are out of a gym but in the background I've got my main online business which will be live in a Month or two, which is... What's that called?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Primo, Primo. I'm
1: not putting it in.
0: You don't want to put it in? No, it's fine. Okay, I'll add it later. Um,
1: But but that's a different demographic. That's young males that are struggling to put on weight. So your ectos or guys that are hard gainers, they can't... Well, I've tried putting on weight and can't put on weight very easily, so that is my main demographic that I'm targeting with that online business.
0: Cool. Um, and you said that you were CrossFit, so for anyone that doesn't realise or doesn't know the difference between CrossFit and, say, normal gym training, mm. how would you explain that? Like, what's your kind of philosophy with coaching and what do you like to focus on with your clients?
1: CrossFit is defined as constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensity. So it's no different to what you would do at a normal gym. It's just you're a little bit more selective with varying those movements a little bit more often. And being compound movements, predominantly compound and functional movements, the uh, movements that you choose to do are a little bit more full body rather than on a machine isolated and that sort of thing.
0: And I personally think it's just so much more fun. You kind of go into the gym with a purpose and a goal um, and you work your way through it. So yeah, CrossFit is definitely a really, really fun style um, of ob- exercise and it's a sport which makes it like all that much more fun. Um, so today what I brought Liam on to talk about, cause he's got obviously like years of experience. He's got so new qualifications, um, so much knowledge that he is so willing to share. Um, and I think the fitness industry and health industry is just so oversaturated with so many different people, so many different influences. With, yeah. There's a lot of different, uh, opinions in it and it's really hard I find because I'm personally and I know that lots of other people are people that just listen to science and just want to listen to like what actually works and it's really hard to find those truths sometimes in such an oversaturated industry such as the health and fitness industry so I've kind of compiled with just what we've been thinking about what, the same questions that Liam keeps getting with clients um, I asked on my Instagram as well I've just We've compiled six sort of common questions and misconceptions from the health and fitness industry. Um, And I'm gonna ask Liam what his two cents are for all these six different things. And you're hopefully gonna get some really great insight um, into the fitness and health industry as well. So without further ado, let's crack on. right so the first one that i wanted to talk about um and i find that it's a massive one as soon as you jump on instagram as soon as you jump on youtube or something you've got an influencer that's sponsored by a certain type of um, supplement brand and they're advocating for this and advocating for that and i personally just get so overwhelmed with how many powders there are and how many flavors of things and how many different chemicals that you can potentially put in your body and it gets really overwhelming to know what you actually need, what your body already naturally does that you don't need anymore, um, and what can actually facilitate your training and like, help you meet your goals um, in the future. So the first kind of question I wanna ask you, Liam, is what sort of supplements should you be taking? Are there any supplements that you should be taking at all, um, depending on what your goals are? And I wanna talk about things like BCAAs, protein powders, fat burners, pre-workouts, creatine, all these different things that everyone keeps seeing in the media. Um, but is getting really overwhelmed by it, can you just simplify it for us um, and tell us who would want them and why?
1: Well, you've got you to gotta think about what is a supplement. I think that's what you've got to look at first because I think that would answer a lot of your questions. A supplement is meant to go on top of something. Supplement something, right? Yeah, it's meant to go with something else. Yep. And I think a lot of people don't look at the word supplement and understand what it means and probably using them with the word like replacement a lot more than something like supplement. So when you're looking at supplements, the main reason for a supplement is to add a very specific thing to your diet that you may be lacking. It doesn't have to be just diet, but that your body is lacking right now if your body is not lacking anything then there is no need to have a supplement does that make sense
0: yeah so it's like i think a funny one that i always see is some people have like such healthy diets they're getting all their macronutrients all their micronutrients i've got greens in every single meal and then every morning they go i'm starting my day with some greens powder and a green juice and it's like your Which body, just
1: creates really expensive piss.
0: Yeah, yeah. like there gets a point where your body is already naturally doing everything that it needs to do really, really well. You're fueling your body with the energy and the nutrients that you need in order to perform how you need to perform. So there is so many things on the market that mm. are trying to fool consumers to need and to their body won't function without these different things yeah, like BCAAs.
1: you got to think that most of these people, well not most Every single one of these
0: people <laughs> <Everyone>. <laughs> that
1: is taking a supplement and is promoting a supplement is getting paid to do that. Yeah, that's right?
0: a massive thing. Eh? And if if someone to... can
1: be on Instagram full time and that is their job and all they have to do is partner with three companies and put three posts up a week or whatever, support, you know, promoting whatever supplement they, they're taking, providing it's not going to kill someone. I think a lot of people can morally sit there and promote a product <clears throat> that probably has some benefits if someone was lacking that particular yeah. nutrient or whatever um for them to be able to do that full-time so it's it's you're never going to get rid of it it's not entirely a bad thing it's just people are getting bombarded with all this advertising of supplements and that's paired with Lack of education yeah. around the area, and so you feel like you need this thing to be at the same level or better than the level of the people that are advertising it.
0: I think that's really important to know like that there are these different products on the market for people to supplement their diet and to complement what they're already doing for their goals, but that doesn't mean that every single person, if you want to have Like if you want to be able to bench a certain weight or if you want to be able to run a certain distance, you need all these different supplements in your diet and you need to be taking all these different things and magic pills in order to reach those goals. There are things in these industries and on the market to supplement you and to help you. Um, But then again, in saying that, there are some things that are just a bit of a joke. So tell me your biggest Mm -hmm. one that you hate, that we love to talk about all the time. (laughs) Enlighten me about BCAAs, Liam. (laughs)
1: BCAAs have... (laughs) They have a place.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I'll address both sides of the argument because...
0: Good, that's what we want.
1: Because otherwise it looks like I'm just taking one side. BCAA... What does it
0: stand for first, actually?
1: chain Amino Acid. Yep. Which I could almost guarantee if you ask half the people that are taking BCAAs what that stands for... They (laughs) won't know. Then if they can't answer that, you ask them what their role is. Why are you taking them? And they won't be able to answer that. Because so-and-so took them. Because I got recommended that in a supplement store. Again, it goes yeah. back to that whole Because they taste like cordial. <laughs> right? Most people that take them are taking them because they taste good and they feel hydrated during their sessions. Right? But water out of a tap can do the same thing.
0: Yeah, if it tastes good to you.
1: <laughs> right? If you want it to be tasty and flavorful, put cordial in it. Like, if you really like raspberry BCAAs, buy a raspberry cordial, and if you're only there for the hydration purposes and the taste, and maybe even the tiny sh- sugar hit, then that is a much, much cheaper alternative than spending 100 bucks on a 50-60 serve tub of BCAAs. Now, the reason... The reason why they have a place is because if you don't have an all-rounded diet, then it's going to supplement the missing branched-chain amino acids that might be in your system. And And those are the building blocks for muscle.
0: So where could someone find those building blocks, those amino acids in their diet? Is it something that you could add into your diet? You have a
1: whole lot of amino acids in your body that uh, their job is to build muscle. Is it repair
0: muscle as well, or just build? Build and repair?
1: Repair, right. Well, building is repairing. True. Remember, when you're training, the idea is that you're breaking down your muscle. And so you take protein in order to build that muscle back to a better state than what it was before it got broken down. So BCAAs are just another form of protein that you can take to try to rebuild muscle. Now, when you need to rebuild muscle, there is a whole lot of these amino acids that are required to work together to build muscle. And if you're missing some of those amino acids, right, you could take BCAAs to make sure you're having all those essential and non-essential amino acids to make sure that your body repairs properly. But most of those essential and a lot of also non-essentials, but mainly those essential ones that are needed for building muscle you will find in a well-rounded diet.
0: Perfect. You will find all
1: of them. So yeah. if you are eating reasonably well, it doesn't even have to be magic or anything like that or a really hard to, to follow diet or anything, if you're having a nice rotation of carbs, proteins, and fats throughout the day, you will be absolutely fine. And again, you'll just be taking something that you don't need when your body doesn't need it. It turns it to waste and you'll get rid of it. So you're essentially paying again to piss <laughs> it.
0: A really nice way. Um, that's really really awesome feedback as well because that's one thing that students who is a lot of my demographic can save on if they're kind of really starting to get into the health and fitness and going. Oh, I'm seeing all these supplements around. BCAAs seem to be popping around a lot. BCAAs
1: are a raw, if you have an all rounded diet. <laughs> again, I'm not saying you have to have salad with every meal, and you have yeah. to have lean cuts of meat and all this sort of stuff. As long as you're generally eating not a fairly <laughs> well-rounded diet, right, then you will be fine. If you are not eating meat or not getting that many proteins, because there are some <laughs> proteins or um, that are harder to get when you're not eating meat, then you may want to look into getting BCAAs and it's something that I would probably talk to a sports dietitian about rather than just buying first Yeah, because your $100 sports dietitian uh, appointment could potentially save you hundreds if you were just to buy them and go with it
0: and then another one because we'll talk about protein powder now, I remember one day looking at a shop and I looked at the ingredients of my protein powder and the ingredients of a BCAA and there were more BCAAs in my protein powder Yeah. Than the BCAA itself. So if you're genuinely concerned and you think I think my diet may not have enough nutrients in it, and Mm -hmm. I might need to supplement some BCAAs, Mm -hmm. you will most likely be able to find that same amount, if not more, in a really well-rounded protein powder. So let's talk about protein powders for a second. Yeah, I think that's like the main thing that, like, that's a really big supplement that a lot of people take. Mm -hmm. Um. Is it just a two, like two major different types? Whey, which includes dairy, so not a vegan option, mm-hmm. or pea protein. Would that be the most... Oh, there's I like mean, rice protein. got I mean, so many. A lot ones. of
1: vegan proteins and vegetarian proteins are just blends of pea and rice. And rice, and a. There's a whole lot of different weird combos of things that go into vegan proteins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the two main categories of protein would be your whey and vegan proteins.
0: Cool. And both of those can be really, really good in their respective areas. Um, they're all very different, but you can probably, would you be able to say you can guarantee p- between like 20, 25 grams of protein per serving usually?
1: Well, it depends without getting too complicated. Mm. When you look, when you have a protein powder, obviously you've got a scoop, which might be 30 grams. And of that 30 grams, a certain percent of that will be pure protein, Right. Depending on what that 30 grams is made of, up of will depend on where it comes from, what's mixed with it, um, how isolated or concentrated it is. Yeah, true. Right, so if there's a whole lot of fillers in it, then you're going to have less protein. So I wouldn't ever guarantee that there's a certain percent of protein that makes up that one scoop, of pure protein that makes up that one scoop. But r- most proteins you'll be getting around 80 to 80, we'll say 75 to 85% of that scoop of will be pure protein. And that's when you get like protein, the whey protein concentrate, whey protein isolate, and all that sort of stuff. Isolate is usually a little bit more expensive. And the reason for that is because it's got a higher percentage of protein per scoop than the others. Cool. Awesome. Which, is, which is more useful for someone that is on a low-calorie yeah, diet and, and doesn't want to consume other things. They just want as much protein in that small scoop as possible.
0: Perfect. So with those two different types of protein, why would someone supplement protein? Um, and what sort of person would you say, yeah, protein, taking protein powder is a great option for you?
1: Well, again, you go back to what is a supplement. Mm-hmm. You would only take a supplement if you are lacking something in your diet. So if you have an all-rounded diet and you're consuming enough protein, which is, it's really not that hard to consume enough protein for you to do all well, that lines with your goals, is in line with your, with your goals, then there is absolutely no need to take protein powder. The only reason you would look at considering taking a protein powder is because you cannot get the required protein for your particular goals with your current diet. Remember that when you consume protein through a protein powder, among potentially having some BCAAs in it and maybe some fat fillers and all that sort of stuff, you're you're not getting many micronutrients. Yeah. You're not getting many vitamins, nutrients, all that sort of stuff. You're better, if you can, trying to have a diet of whole foods that get you that protein because you're also going to get a whole lot of microbes and things with it at the same time.
0: Vitamins, minerals, all those sorts of things.
1: But as a student, a uni student on minimum
0: wage,
1: (laughs) you probably, when you do the math, you might find that you to get the required amount of protein for your particular goal might be too expensive getting that through Nutrients,
0: yeah, I find that.
1: And that's where you might find that protein becomes a little bit more um, appropriate to put into your diet because it's cheaper than going out and buying the meat or the tofu or whatever you were trying to get your protein through. Remember, it's all depending on your goal. Like I said, it's not hard to reach your protein goals if you have an all-rounded diet. If you're, and this is really rough, but usually, as a rule of thumb, we do one gram of protein per pound of body weight.
0: Per pound, yep. Yeah. And then if you are looking to build a little bit more muscle and that's your current goal, then you wanna be consuming a little bit more protein than the average person, no, if you that's wanna, your goal.
1: you'll probably have less.
0: Or less, what?
1: If you're, well, if you're trying to put on weight. Like muscle, yeah, a build if you're muscle. you yeah. Then you, you need your majority of that surplus that you're gonna be in is gonna be carbs okay that's rather than protein so i would usually say 1.8 grams of protein per kilo yeah
0: it's like 1.2.2 i, to 2.2, would, I would
1: say 2 grams for someone at maintenance and i would say 2.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight if you were trying to lose weight because you want to maintain as much of that muscle mass as possible
0: okay that's really interesting. And so, if you're cause... trying to
1: put on weight, you don't need as much protein. It's still all, you know, when, by the time you multiply it out, it's similar anyway. Yeah. It's not much of a difference, but technically, you don't need as much protein to put on muscle. But remember that the more muscle that you do put on, your weight is going to change and therefore your, your body t- composition is going to change. Your protein intake is going to be affected by that.
0: Yeah, perfect. Um, And then just a couple more on this topic of supplements. Just really common ones. Fat burners, pre-workouts. Why would someone want to take them? Who should be taking them? Do you think they're the correct thing to be supplementing? Fat
1: burners, I wouldn't bother with. Yep. Fat burners do a whole lot more damage than good. And you're better to skip out a meal and reduce (laughs) your portions. Yeah. (laughs) Than to take something. At the end of the day, the way you lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit. And if you wanted to be super theoretical with it if you eat exactly the same what you want and take a fat burner you have technically consumed more calories than you, yeah. you would have without taking that fat burner yeah so don't waste your time with fat burners there's also a lot of pretty harmful chemicals and crap that they put into those
0: yeah like I think that. it's just about like stripping it down and thinking like do it this is a whole nother chemical that I'd be introducing into my body with a goal to lose fat when I could do this so naturally in so many other forms to
1: do with so my diet and my exercise. By yeah. just eating a little bit less.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm totally with you there with fat burners. I think it's just another thing on the market that's trying to grab another group of people um, that are probably quite vulnerable to and easily influenced. So yeah, fat burners. Personally, I think lambs the same. Don't bother. Mm-hmm. And then pre-workout. What's the difference between taking pre-workout and say a cup of coffee before you work out?
1: With the chemicals in it. The difference is the main ingredient or the main stimulant in a pre-workout is caffeine. Right? The main stimulant is going to be caffeine. If you like coffee, then have...
0: <laughs> I'm sitting here drinking like my third cup of the day. Then have coffee.
1: <laughs> I don't like coffee. I hate the taste of it. So what a shame. I'm not going to bother having a coffee. You've got to think about, you've got to still fit These things into, you know, your diet and your supplements into what you like and what you don't like, because there's no point in taking. It's got to be sustainable to you and not happy taking. So, I would. Pre workout's got a lot of things that you probably don't want to be consuming. However, if you really need the energy, there might be an option for you. Another option to be able to get that caffeine hit without taking coffee would simply be a caffeine tablet, which are really cheap and you can just buy from most supplement stores and you can buy them online for even cheaper mm-hmm.
0: um but why would someone want to be taking a pre-workout what is should any, like the anyone idea that's is before that it gives run?
1: you it gives you a burst of energy for you to be able to perform better in the gym
0: okay so someone that's just trying to get their running up and wants to learn how to run 5k's a bit quicker than last week
1: yeah
0: you think Scrap it, it's just another thing for your body to have your morning cup of coffee and that's all you need.
1: Yeah. And cool. and remember that pre workout is is it should probably be a meal. the carbs are a form are your your main form of energy. Yeah. In a pre-workout, there's gonna be some sugar in it, which is gonna be a quick hit. Alright. But when you're depending on the length of your training or the part, you know, time that you're gonna to put towards training, will totally dictate what sort of pre-workout is going to be best for you. So for most people that go to the gym for an hour, a coffee with maybe a very small snack beforehand, like some fruits or something a little bit sugary yep. um, and a little bit of fat as well, a tiny bit of protein. So having pretty much a mini meal, yeah, um, a very mini meal before training where the coffee is going to be your best option. If you don't like coffee, then you can have that mini meal with some caffeine tablets and that would be fine. Or, if you really wanted to
0: just have more sleep the night before
1: <laughs> yeah but if you really wanted to take pre-workout I guess the biggest thing that pre-workout has that no food really has and no coffee is going to have is your beta alanine which gives you that tingles the tingles is yeah, a capillary data, it so what it does is it it brings that blood to the surface and it's and it makes you kind of feel rushy and tingly and all that sort of stuff. And if you really like that, <laughs> you can buy that on its own from a supplement store. So you could just have a coffee and have a shot of beta alanine and nothing else in it. Um, if you really, really like those tingles, that's a personal preference thing. And I know most people that take pre-workouts for the first time hate it because they're not used to what that Loose feels like. That. <laughs> but... I know for myself, if I'm lifting reasonably heavy, I do like that. And so I will um, take a pre-workout if there's one around or if there's some beta alanine around, I will. Otherwise, I'll just stick with with normal uh, caffeine tablet and um, a bit of food. Perfect.
0: So I think to wrap up that whole concept and that whole um, question about supplements, all of these supplements that we've just talked about are... Possibly options for someone that isn't currently already getting the nutrients from their own diet already. But I think the blanket rule that we've got here is if you don't need it, don't bother. Don't waste your own money. Do your research. Liam's has given you so much insight in 20 minutes alone. of He's just broken down some of those myths around all these different things that we're kind of led to believe that we need. And a lot of it you don't depending on your goals if you're just someone that's wanting to you know get into the gym a little bit more than usual and trying to get you know run a little faster than last week a lot of these things you just probably won't need in your diet don't waste your time if
1: you want to especially when it comes to improving there are so many more important things that you should be putting your time and effort and money towards than those those are kind of like the one percenters yeah so towards your improvement let say you've got a spectrum of one to one hundred that you could put towards improving. That will really only account for one or two of those months. Yeah, that's so really helpful. If you've got a hundred bucks spared to waste on a supplement, I would probably prefer to put a hundred bucks into a coach. That yeah. lets me, tra- you know, teach me how to train want. properly if you wanted better results.
0: Perfect. All right. That's super, super helpful. Thanks for it, Liam. And we'll get on to tip number two. All right. So question number two that I hear a lot um, is I want to lose some weight, where do I even start? I think, again, kind of like um, question number one, is a lot of different information you hear from a lot of different people, some quite sustainable, some not sustainable at all, and it can get very overwhelming um, with so many different methods on the market, so many fad diets on the market as well, um, and so many different opinions. Where should someone start? What's the simplest way to losing some weight if that is someone's
1: goal? Well, just like supplements. You wanted to understand, well I think the best thing to do is understand what a supplement is, and then that pretty much answers a lot of your questions. And so when it comes to losing weight, I think you have to understand the process that's taking place when you are losing weight mm-hmm. in order to make a decision about what is going to be the best method of you losing weight. Cool. So when you're looking at losing weight or putting on weight or maintaining weight, it's simply... An equation that I think most people are aware of now. But then when it comes to making a decision on what they're going to do about it, they get flustered with advertising and a whole lot of pressure from whatever it is. And they throw all logic out the window and end up doing something that is pointless or at least not as effective as it could be.
0: And the short term, I think, is a really common one. With lack of education comes, like, really... How do I said, like,
1: well, people are desperate. People are desperate yeah. to get results quickly, and so they're looking for something that's going to work quicker than what uh, the basic uh, balance equation is going yeah, to give them. But okay. simply, really, really, really simply, you have an equation. You've got stuff coming in, which is your food. You have stuff going out, which is your energy burnt. So you've got energy coming in and energy going out. And depending on how you want to balance that, that's going to dictate the way your weight shifts.
0: I think a really good analogy that i read about when I was reading a book is like think of your body as a fuel tank in your car. If you want to get more energy, which is in the form of food, you need to fill up more petrol in your tank. And if you want your tank to stay a little bit more empty, if you want to lose some weight, you need to be burning more fuel and using your engine more and using more of that petrol In order to have a smaller tank, so well, however you think about it, it's really simple. If
1: you can, it's best to think of it like a bank account, and imagine that your bank account costs fifty dollars a day to have. Now you can either put if you put in more than fifty dollars that day, even when you minus the fifty dollars off for having the account, you're going to have more money in it than what you started with. If you put in exactly fifty dollars and it takes out $50, you're going to have exactly the same amount. Which is your
0: maintenance way. Which
1: is your maintenance. And if you put in less than $50, by the time that account fee comes out, you're going to have less than what you started with. Yep. I think a fuel tank is a good analogy when it comes to fueling and stuff like that, when you're talking about food. Yeah. But you've, it's hard to think about that in a deficit way. Yep. Where... Which is
0: the whole point of this thing, is a caloric deficit is the be all and like that's the main overarching thing the only way
1: to lose weight unless you physically cut it off yourself (laughs) is to consume less calories in the day than you burn yeah it is that simple if you want to lose weight faster you consume a lot less calories if you want to if you want to lose it slowly you still are in a deficit but you're in a much smaller deficit So you can dictate how fast you lose that weight depending on how much of a deficit you want to be in, which is how you get these 30 day challenges where I lost 20 kilos. It's safe to say that that person was probably starving themselves.
0: Yeah. And that's a really big thing that I would love for everyone to take from this podcast. Liam's giving you so many different tips for so many different goals, which is what we want because I want everyone to feel like they can come away with something. Um, But all of this has to be in moderation with the education plus this podcast of knowing in moderation sustainability wise, you know, you need to know your body and what is safe and healthy for your body in that moderation. But at the same
1: time, when you understand the very basic rules around health and fitness, it's not hard. No. It's hard because you get...
0: Because there's so much information out there. You don't know which one to listen to. Yeah, that's
1: right. So if you just go back to those basic few rules and really understand them, it makes all your decision-making a heap easier.
0: Cool. Um. So talking about a caloric deficit, Mm -hmm. people always are talking about macros and fitting macros. And what are macros for someone that maybe hasn't heard about them before or has heard those words but doesn't quite understand what that is. What are macros? What should someone sort of be aiming for? Um is there a cookie-cutter approach to macros?
1: Macros are the building blocks of food. Just like we have atoms, right, or molecules. <laughs> you want to think <laughs> about they're the building blocks of food and macronutrients are broken down into three categories you've got carbohydrates you've got fats and you've got proteins which everyone has heard of yeah you've got micronutrients which we mentioned before which are all your vitamins minerals nutrients all that sort of stuff like
0: iron and potassium and things like that
1: yeah but macronutrients Uh, your bigger molecules your three main or the three the only three macronutrients everything is split down into carbs fats and proteins so everything you could consume is going to be built of those three things
0: cool that's super super easy um i was going to say easy to digest like (laughs) in your head (laughs) but wow (laughs) um so then When people say, like, oh, how much protein should I be getting in my diet? Where should I be finding my protein? I want to cut out carbs because carbs make me gain weight. What would you say to someone that's saying those sorts of things? How much protein should someone be getting? Is it healthy to be cutting carbs? What about all these fad diets that have all these different rules? I've seen a
1: heap of people go, there's this person I want to look like, and they put out their diet and they consume X amount of calories, right? Right. And those calories are made up of X, Y, and Z macros. And so they follow that diet to try to look like someone, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, It's so specific to your body weight, to your genetic makeup, from your hormones, to your gender, to your body itself.
0: The way you train.
1: Well, yeah, obviously, obviously the way you train. Some people's uh, organs require more energy to work than others it, it's so individualized that you can't take someone else's macros or calories or and calories r- repeat the same thing do exactly what they do and expect to have the same results
0: yeah it's like if someone got a dress like custom made for them you can't expect yourself to also fit that custom made dress just because it fits them perfectly just because someone's macros work really well for them and they're working towards their goals and it's you know really suiting their lifestyle right now doesn't mean that you can just hop on with that and jump on and do exactly what they're doing it's a really individual approach um and you need to yeah and who who, where would you go if you want to find out What sort of macros you should be personally? I mean,
1: you could go to a sports dietitian, or any dietitian, sorry. It doesn't need to be a sports dietitian. Yeah. And you could go and all they would do is they would take your body weight and your activity level and punch out a number that they believe is the amount of energy that is required for you to go through 24 hours of your life. Mm -hmm. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to work out... How much energy is needed for you to go through an entire day, right? And not put on weight, not take off weight at this stage. They just want to work out exactly how much energy it takes for you to go through 24 hours. You can pay for that. You can also go online and just get a calculator. There are so many different... Yeah, there's so many. they are all got very, very similar um, algorithms in it. Yeah. The numbers will be so... Uh, they'll be different, but they'll be the difference will be so small that yeah. it really doesn't matter. And you've got to remember that your day today is going to be different to your day tomorrow, which is going to be different to your day afterwards. That if you did find that perfect number today, however you found it... It's not going to be the perfect number tomorrow, and
0: you can't you you can't guarantee that you're going to make that perfect fit towards those numbers every yeah, so day. You, either.
1: so there's no point in being perfect. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, that's so really it doesn't good. matter. You you're going to put it into a calculator. It's going to spit out ten different numbers if you went to ten different calculators, and they'll all be fairly similar, and they'll all be fine to use.
0: Cool, that's really good because I know that I used to be like. Questioning, well, I see all these other people eating this and eating that. Like, how do I know if that's what I need? Like, i am always, always been such a hungry person. And then you get into the talk about metabolisms and everything. But literally, if you can go online, there's so many of those calculators that follow that basic algorithm. And that will just give you a guide. It um, will give
1: you a starting place. Because, yeah, every, again, everybody's body is different. And so I might use my energy that I consume in the day different to the person sitting next to me even though we might be doing the exact same thing the way our body metabolizes that energy is going to be different so the best thing you could do in order to lose weight from a calorie point of view is to eat a certain amount of calories just start with whatever put it into a calculator and hit it if you Follow that religiously for two weeks and then weigh yourself again at the end of the two weeks. If you've gone up, then your number was obviously slightly too big. It was was too, you were consuming more than you were burning. If it went down and you were happy with the, the amount of weight that you lost for that particular period, then you know you're in a deficit, which is what you wanted. If it didn't change at all, well then you luckily found maintenance after you 've weighed yourself on that two week mark, adjust your calories how in whatever direction you want to move next. If you want to continue losing weight, then I would just stay with what you were doing because you already lost weight. Why would you bother changing it? Yeah if you were the exact same weight but you wanted to lose weight, then you 've probably got to eat a little less than those calories that you were following for two weeks and If you put on weight well you 've probably got to bring those calories down a little bit more yeah then. Than what you were doing before in order to again go through another two week period weigh yourself at the end of two weeks again see if that's the direction you want to be moving in if it's shifted the right way if it has do what you want to do uh, so if it has shifted continue doing what you're doing if it hasn't shifted in the direction you want again adjust those calories so a calorie calculator is going to give you an awesome starting point but it's going to be a few weeks maybe even a couple of months. For you to be able to fine-tune that number so then you know what you need to consume in order to shift your weight in whatever direction. <laughs> <Woo! Rude. laughs>
0: okay, perfect. And so, you, because you're touching on kind of weighing yourself and using all your um, calorie calculators and everything. Mm. Weight, we all know, is not everything though. So, how else can you track your progress
1: mm.
0: without having to weigh yourself or rely on using something like weight if you're Well, I'm just going to be
1: straight up and say if you're fat,
0: <laughs> okay?
1: <laughs> if you're fat, right? And you lose weight, it's probably going to be fat. Yeah. Like you don't need to go spend money on something. It's a pretty fair assumption to make. Yeah, there might be a little bit of muscle in that, but if you in 2 weeks lost a couple of kilos and you are a fat person, then it's probably going to be fat. If you are already a smaller person, like you are relatively lean and you're trying to lose weight, you have to be realistic with yourself. You lost two kilos in two weeks and you're already a super lean person. You've got not much fat to lose. Yeah. Which means it's probably going to be muscle. So you can just, based on what you are at the moment, could make some assumptions as to what that weight was made up of. If you wanted to be more, um, exact with it and know exactly what that weight shift was made up of then you're going to need to go and get something like a dexa scan which is going to cost you yeah i know it's about I don't know, 80 bucks or something like that a scan or you can buy a few packs of them or whatever that's probably one of the more reliable ways of finding out that's you're serious
0: much... about you've got like a specific goal that you want to achieving you really want to i personally like because my goals have never been you know to put on weight or to lose weight it's just to be you know to feel more functional to get stronger and feel fitter i usually will measure my progress with how much i can lift with how fast i can run um rather yeah, so than the number on the indicators. scale
1: but in, if, we're turn, if we're trying to talk about losing body fat then that yeah, is going that's... to obviously be the best way to do it another way to do it um which is super reliable is going to be skin folds, yeah. but you need to yeah. have your skin folds taken by someone who yeah. is qualified in skin folds. Not because they hold it in a special way or anything like that. It's just they've been doing it for long enough that their measurements are going to be, they're going to be accurate. Yeah. But you do it yourself, you can. By by all means, you can do it <laughs> yourself, but I can guarantee you're going to be pinching different amount of fat every time you do it. Yeah. It's not going to be reliable. Anymore.
0: I tried to do my cast, and I was doing my. Set so three, and it was nothing because I have no calf muscles. It was literally no skin to grab on my calf. You need
1: to know what you're doing. <laughs> So if, if you have someone that knows how to do that, again, most dietitians would use that because they don't need to send you to a DEXA scan. They can build that into an appointment and that's going to be the best way to do it. Yeah. And I guess your last, last resort is going to be um, like circumferences if you've got a measuring tape. And yeah, you measured your waist or whatever. Again, if you're a bigger person, then you can make the assumption that if your waist goes down, it's probably fat that's, that's making it smaller. But if you're already a lean person, measuring your waist, if it went down, I could almost, if you're a really lean person, I could guarantee you that, you know, a fair amount of that decrease is going to be muscle, which you obviously didn't want. Yeah. Okay. There are many people that want to lose muscle.
0: Yeah, not not a fan of that one. Um, but, yeah, I think that is really, really useful information to someone that was, I want to lose some weight. That was, like, the overarching question of that. Um, but, yeah, so and saying less. that... Eat less.
1: <laughs> go, <laughs> go into a deficit. It's so, it's so simple. Yeah, it's hard. Eat less than you're burning. It when, just takes time to work out what those amounts are.
0: Yeah, what those numbers are and everything. Um, but, yeah, just... In moderation, be gentle with yourself. This is not where Liam is trying to say, eat nothing for the next three weeks, and then you'll lose weight, and if you weigh yourself, you'll realize that... it's not sustainable. Yeah.
1: You you go into a... You know, your body needs a certain amount of calories to function, even if you were doing nothing. Like, you've still got to breathe, your heart's still got to beat, all that sort of stuff. So you still need a certain amount of calories to be able to function as a normal human being, even if you were to just lie in bed for the full 24 hours, yep. your body's still doing things. And so things can start to get pretty dangerous if you were to consume below even like involuntary um, muscles, energy requirements and stuff like that.
0: Perfect. Happy with that? I oh, am. Yeah. Cool. All right. So question number three that I see a lot again um, lots of different answers and that's what's better cardio training or resistance training so am i better off going out for a one hour run or am i better off being in the gym for an hour do i even need to be doing both how can i exercise (laughs) answer that
1: (laughs) what are your goals like that is it's That is what it boils down to. There are so many different forms of training and they're all good for their own reasons. But why am I going to bother with something that's not going to push me in the direction of my goal? It's like, why would you study a subject that's not related to your core, to your degree? There's no point in doing it unless, one, you have a genuine interest in it and you want to expand your learning. Or... Two, you want to prepare yourself for changing over to that one day. Otherwise, I'm not going to bother doing a, a form of exercise that's not in line with my goal. Yep. From a general, very general health and fitness perspective, you should be trying to expose yourself to as many different forms of training as possible. Because you want to prepare your body for everything.
0: Yeah. It's all about like, what are you exercising for? Are you exercising to lose weight? Are you exercising to build muscle? Or are you doing what I do? And I just love exercising because it makes me feel good. I love feeling like I'm really like able-bodied and I'm functional. And so for that, exercise for me looks like a whole arrangement of different things. Because Mm -hmm. the best way to feel functional and the best way to feel agile is to be able to perform a lot of different movements over a period of time. And so that, for me personally, includes cardio. It includes resistance because at the end of the day they all help each other. You don't see a sprinter in the Olympics just running 100 metres every single day, day in, day out because they're a 100 metre
1: No, but at sprinter. the same time you don't see a 100 metre sprinter training basketball.
0: No, exactly. So
1: you, you, you've only got a certain amount of time in the day and also energy to put towards an activity like training. So you're best to put that limited amount of time and energy towards something that's going to shift you closer towards your goal. Yep. And so, like I said, each different form of training is going to have a different purpose, Mm -hmm. and they're only useful if it's what you want to achieve in line with what you want to achieve. If it's not, then it's probably not as important.
0: Yep. So if someone was looking to lean up, lean <laughs> lean up, <laughs> um, to lean out a little bit, would you be prescribing them some cardio and some resistance training? Do you think they can lean out using just resistance training? What would you say?
1: Again, it depends what they want. So if they want to simply lean out, I would say eat less. I don't, I wouldn't bother Why would you want to add more activities in your day to lean out when I could simply tell you don't do any of that, just eat less, so technically actually doing less, and you will lean out. However, if you want to lean out and put on muscle...
0: Yeah, like tone, yeah.
1: Then you've got to address both sides, so you're going to probably be in a deficit for trying to lean out, so you want to eat less than your Uh, So consume less than what you are burning. But to put on muscle, you're going to have to resistance train. Resistance train doesn't necessarily mean you have to train with weights, but you have to overload your system, make it work harder than what it usually does in order to break down that muscle for it to repair stronger, bigger and stronger. Yep. So again... If someone comes to me and says, all I want to do is get lean, I would simply tell them to eat less. Don't bother coming to the gym (laughs) because that's how you lean out. But if you want to be strong, if you want to put on muscle, if you want to jump higher, if you want to any of these, if you want to be better golf player, whatever, um, you have to make sure that you are doing the appropriate training that's in line with your goals. And majority of the time, resistance training in conjunction with cardiovascular training is going to be the best, not only in terms of reaching majority of people's goals, but also from a health point of view, keeping you as healthy as possible.
0: Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to touch on. Like, yes, people have goals, but what if someone's goal is to just be really healthy and functional, you would say, do a bit of everything in moderation That's the best way to have a healthy body. If someone wants to be
1: healthy, it's part of being fit and healthy. I think being injured is so in the wrong direction. So you could be the healthiest person in the world, but if you're injured, then you're useless. Yeah. And so if you are going to start learning how to lift weights, I couldn't stress enough that with all the money you were probably going to go spend on your crappy supplements, you should mm. probably spend it on a coach that teaches you how to live properly. <laughs>
0: and who would that be, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have notes here about like your eating, your neat and just how many other ways there are to living more of an active, healthy lifestyle and burning those calories. There are other ways than just having to put yourself in a gym for an hour or having to go on a one-hour long run. What are these other ways of technically burning energy you have
1: to obviously accept that there's a portion of you that is human and so you need to go out and have dinner with friends and you need to go out drinking and you need to go out and do if you you don't want there's no point in losing weight if you can't go out and enjoy yourself yeah so it's huge again like i said you can eat less And that would be my first answer. Just eat less and it's going to give you the results. But realistically, eating less is probably living less. Yeah. And you wouldn't... There's no point in doing it if you're not living. So if you're looking at trying to now burn more calories to offset the food that you are eating because you are going out on the weekends and on a weekday you're doing this and that or whatever. Yeah. Then you do have some other, well, some probably more effective forms of training than others when it comes to burning burning fat or burning energy. Not fat in particular, but just burning energy. Yep. And so probably your best, your best, best option is going to be less, low-intensity, steady-state training. So keeping your heart rate at kind of a moderate intensity so let's say we're up around that kind of 60 to 75 to 80 let's say percent and holding that there for a prolonged period of time fun which is boring thing for me (laughs) which is like walking yeah right you don't need to go to the on a stepper at the gym and walk on that for an hour that's a nice way to measure because you're going to be able to do exactly the time that you need you are constantly climbing upstairs you, you know from a performance point of view there are a lot of benefits to doing that but if you're simply looking to burn more calories because you're not willing to eat less or you don't want to eat less then simply going for things like walks bike rides that sort of stuff for an hour maybe even up to an hour and a half is going to be your most effective form of training cool to lose, uh, to i lose think energy
0: as students that is like the easiest thing to take away from this because if you're in Welly, you we walk to we, we, most of us will walk to uni twice a day most of us will walk to the supermarket if you don't have a car like, there's so many places to walk on a sunday i make sure that i don't drive to the markets on a sunday morning which are all the way in town purely because i know it's a really really nice long walk for me so there's so many other ways that you can burn calories or burn fat or you know be in a calorie deficit as well as your diet. But there are so many other ways than having to trap yourself in a gym for an hour if that's not what you enjoy. Because at the end of the day, if you don't enjoy the form of exercise that you're currently doing,
1: don't bother. The only thing I will say on top of that, though, is that you, if you are going to burn these calories through walking from point A to point B and all that sort of stuff and doing these other fairly physical activities throughout the day... You need to approach them with some form of intensity. Yeah. Like it's low intensity, but there's still intensity there. Yeah. So for you strolling to university at 15 minutes a kilometer.
0: No, I'm 10. Or, I'm like 9.50. Or
1: whatever. <laughs> right? You probably need to up your intensity a little bit more. If you had a watch that told you your heart rate and stuff yeah, like that. I love it. <laughs> like if it is barely above resting you're probably not doing too much yeah so you still need to approach those activities with a little bit of intensity the bonus of being able to do that with an activity like that is that you're still achieving something else at the same time so you're still walking to the market yeah so it doesn't feel
0: like it's time out of your day or it's no you don't have to put
1: you were going to walk to the market anyway so you're killing two birds with one stone where Going to the gym, you need to put aside an additional whatever hour where you could have accumulated that hour throughout the day, as long as you as long as you approach those activities with a level of intensity.
0: Yeah, yeah. perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, awesome. Now we will move on to question number four. All right, so number four is all about recovery. Um, a lot of people want to know how do I recover best. What sort of types of recovery are really effective? How do I know if I'm overtraining? How many times should I be training per week? So, all things recovery based um, and pushing your body too far. How do you know it's been pushed too far? What do I do if I've pushed it too far? Mm-hmm. So, what's your question? <laughs> I just had like eight. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do baby steps. <laughs> um, how do I know I've overtrained?
1: You know you're overtrained because you can't perform to the same ability as you did the week before or the day before or whatever to the previous time you attempted that same task yeah so if i lifted 10 kilos 10 times today and then tomorrow i lifted 10 kilos again but i could only lift it nine times i wasn't recovered enough no yeah
0: that's really simply
1: so if you so, if you are training and you are lifting weights or you're running or you're playing a sport, and your performance is starting to decline, then you are overtraining.
0: And if that is you, what is the next best? Like, what should you do? How would you recover?
1: Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that your recovery protocols are at the best they can be. Yeah. So when it comes to recovering, the two things that are going to recover you are sleep and eat. Yeah. Eating. So are you getting enough sleep? There's no number that you need to hit. It frustrates me when people say, <laughs> I only got six hours of sleep And we're like, like uni today. students too. <laughs> you don't need a certain amount of sleep. It's not like if I hit eight hours, I'm recovered because your eight hours of sleep... Could have been crap.
0: Mm. Quality versus quantity, isn't
1: it? And instead of getting a watch or all these electrodes stuck on your head to measure the quality of your rapid eye movement sleep and all that sort of stuff, you can simply know if you had enough sleep by when you were training. If you feel tired, like sleepy tired, then you yeah. obviously weren't sleeping enough. Your I quality of yawn. Your enough.
0: What is the sign? This is not. This is off topic now. But when I'm training, I yawn in between every set, like, so many times. Is that my body, like, looking for air? Like, what's happening?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> yawning, along with other things like hiccups and stuff like that, are not fully understood. No, um, boring. No, no scientist is, like, nutted right the way down to what is happening. What they believe is happening is that you are trying to inhale... More oxygen, which is then going to give you a small burst of energy because you are. I'm not going to bore you with the Krebs cycle and stuff like that. But <laughs> no, I'm
0: just so like I yawn in between sets. Oxygen so is large. one of the
1: main ingredients of energy production of ATP, and so by yawning and inhaling oxygen, there is a belief that that extra bit of air that you've now taken in, it would get converted to energy, which will then give you a spark of energy. So when you are tired, your body could be looking for energy.
0: Really doesn't work for me, but oh well, my body will probably still keep yawning. Um, Okay, so if you know you've overtrained, you can't perform to the same ability that you could last time, Mm -hmm. how to recover best, sleep and eat, Mm -hmm. what about all this other stuff that's in the atmosphere what about all these cryo things what about ice baths? what about all these different massage guns and acupuncture should the average person like me be doing any of that where do I invest my money what works
1: the recovery process right from any form of training happens when you are not training when you are resting right so majority yeah. of that takes place when you're asleep
0: oh that was my ankle cracking that was disgusting <laughs>
1: The majority of it takes place when you are resting. So for a lot of the time, stretching, yoga, cryotherapy, uh, electrodes, you know, like uh, TENS machines, all that sort of stuff, is going to put you into a state of relaxation, which in theory means it will kickstart or at least like allow your here. body to recover. Yeah. So you could go spend whatever it costs, a hundred bucks for a five-minute session in a cryo chamber. One of those pods. Relax, or a uh, float. Yeah, there's nothing like those floats. Right? And they're all well and good or an ice bath. Eventually, you know, the idea is that you would relax into it. But you could spend all your money on these things, or you could simply try to maximize the time you are sleeping, or the quality of your sleep, or designate a certain amount of time to relaxing. So you should be able to sit there and watch TV, and as long as you've been eating properly for uh, for your body to have enough nutrients, macros and micros, to be able to repair your body... As you are watching TV, your body is chipping away at recovering your muscles.
0: I think that's really helpful because, again, there's so many things in the market that are meant to help recovery, but all they're actually trying to do in their own little way is help you relax, which you can simply do yourself. But by you need to also make enough. sure
1: that when you are relaxing, you are relaxing. Yeah, it's I'm not sure about of physical that. movement. Like physical movement is demanding. Yeah, but same as brain or mental stimulation yeah. is also demanding it it requires energy yeah like if, I, I remember ages ago they did a, a study on someone burning calories while while they're sleeping and someone burning calories while they're playing playstation <laughs> and they were i can't remember i think they still i think at the end of it i can't remember off the top of my head they had the person sleeping burn more calories. But the person playing PlayStation, although they weren't physically moving, apart from Your their brain, hands, was like their, their brain was overloaded and yeah. they were still burning a heap of calories. Their body was still under stress. Yeah. So you need to relax. So that's why forms of meditation, yoga, um, podcast
0: episode coming soon, <laughs> that sort of
1: stuff, are effective for some people. Because it allows them to go into a state of relaxation. Yep. But if you can hit that without spending hundreds of dollars on recovery, then do
0: it. I think it's like when people see, like Jacinda Ardern for an example, like she's been so stressed lately. I mean, she's probably stressed every day of her life. But like people are like, oh, she's lost so much weight. She must be so stressed. That's because even though she's not exercising She's still managing to lose weight because she's under so much stress and so much mental, like her mental cap- capacity is so overloaded right now. So, there's other ways that your body needs to find that energy from. That's why you eat without even exercising in a day. You need those calories to actually function as a human being and have those thoughts and execute all those different activities that aren't just walking somewhere.
1: And stress will, like stress and things related to stress, anxiety, all that sort of stuff is going to obviously. Burn calories, but the people that say, "Oh, when I stress, I put on weight," it's bullshit because they. Oh, I'm not last wearing this.
0: <laughs> I will. No, I do it like you said. <laughs> um, it's, it's the it's way they
1: eat, usually, isn't it? It yeah. Again, you can only lose weight if you're in a deficit. Yeah. And you will only put on weight if you're in a surplus. So the people that are stressed, if they are putting on weight, I would put my life on it. That it's not the stress that's putting on the weight. The stress is causing them to eat Mindless more, eat and it's the or eating eat the wrong that thing. is putting on. So don't ever tell me that you stress. Oh, when I stress out, I start to put on weight. It's the stress that's causing it. It's not the stress. It's your crappy eating habits when you're stressed. Yeah. That are doing that.
0: Love. I think that's such a great tip for us students because you've just made recovery really, really cheap and. But don't, don't think to
1: studying see- is recovering as well. God
0: i like hyperventilate when i'm (laughs) studying
1: (laughs) so you need to put just as much time as you did towards training and breaking down your muscle you need to you know good rule of thumb and it's not always realistic for for a lot of people but if you can you would put that same amount of time towards resting your body each day Mm. for it to rebuild and grow
0: and just quality of sleep as well. I think next week I'm doing an episode with Liz, who's another psych girl. Um, and we're going to be talking all about um, mental health and all your like mental being and things like that and how to relax um, and everything like that. So tune in for next week's episode as well um, for some tips on that. But yeah, that is Recovery Simplified 101. All right, this one's a doozy. <laughs> um intermittent fasting training faster you hear it so much what is the actual science what is the aim with intermittent fasting what does it work who should do it
1: religious people (laughs) if it's built into your religion i'm not going to argue with it yeah like if you fast for religious purposes you don't probably do it to lose weight.
0: For the health reasons, no. But people They're, that do it intermittent fasting, like, what is it, 16-8 and all that sort of stuff. There's
1: no number, but that's a popular one.
0: Yeah. Why do they do it? What's They're their aim? They do it
1: because they feel as though fasting is putting their body into a state of burning fat because there is no food in the system. That's the big belief.
0: It thinks that, like, instead of burning the food that's already in your tummy, it like burns the fat that's already in there. Well, the like theory the, is the always if
1: I, if I wake up and I've got no food in my stomach because it's all been digested and it's all in my intestines now ready for waste or whatever, that if I now go for a run and go do an activity that requires energy, your body has no option but to chip into your fat stores as uh, the form of energy or to, to, to get energy, um, rather than the food in your stomach if you weren't to do it fasted. And all I can tell you is that the reason fasting works is simply because you have less out. If, if you were following it, you have less hours in the day to eat. And that's what it simply, simply boils down to. Yeah. If you have an eight-hour window in the day now which you can eat, you, can't you can only much, do eh? so much damage in eight hours. Yeah. Like you can still screw it up. If I, te- I-, I could do two hours of eating and then 22 hours of not eating. <laughs> if I ate four pizzas yeah. in the two hours, I'm still going to put on weight. The time is irrelevant. Yeah. All it's doing for most people is giving them a smaller window to be able to consume calories so, um, so they can do less damage.
0: That's yep. it. So if you're someone that Like, I personally could never skip breakfast to save myself, but for someone that's, like, because there's that massive argument, like, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, like, you have to start your day with breakfast, if someone can manage to hold out breakfast until, say, 11 or 12 o'clock, is that okay?
1: If that's, if that allows you to perform your best and you know that for a fact, then you do it. Mm -hmm. like if you know that every time i eat breakfast i get tired and the way my schedule works is that i have to be working at eight o'clock in the morning and therefore i can't eat breakfast beforehand like it just hinders my performance too much at work or uni or whatever you're doing then you do what's best for your body and you don't eat breakfast without nerding out too much if you're trying to if you're trying to put on muscle and you're trying to repair that muscle you need to go you need protein synthesis to occur right so you need to be synthesizing protein throughout the like day all the day yeah right and so that's why there is a big group of of academics that believe that eating smaller meals throughout the day consistently Providing they are well-rounded and and have protein, carbs, and fats will allow that protein synthesis to continue ticking over for the period that you are awake. Yeah. And even when you're asleep, you know, they might recommend a a casein protein, which we didn't talk about before, which is like a slow-releasing protein that gets released over the night. So, again, that protein synthesis can take place even while you're asleep. Interesting. But if you feel as though skipping breakfast works best for you, then don't have breakfast, right? But I don't think people have given it a fair enough go as well. I think majority of people's inability to eat breakfast comes from pure laziness, not from them actually finding it difficult to perform after eating breakfast.
0: Well, out of habit as well. Like if you've been someone that's never eaten breakfast before, I can imagine it would be quite hard to then... Start your day with food.
1: Yeah, but the majority of that habit comes from probably a stage in your life where you valued sleep yeah, over eating. And you're like, okay, I would rather like wake up right at the last second and not have breakfast than to wake up early, miss out on that sleep and have breakfast yeah. instead. And so that's why I say you need to be sure that breakfast is actually affects your performance in a negative way because I know for a few people like if I'm training a client at 5 a.m. they're not gonna have a full breakfast before they come. It's they they're just they're gonna value their sleep more as well as they find that training on a full stomach makes them feel uncomfortable. So the first thing I would suggest to them is can they have something smaller? Can they have you know um can they have a coffee like we were talking about pre-workout before and a small meal beforehand. Still, if after all of that, still doesn't make them feel right, they feel sick or nauseous while they're training, don't have it. It's yeah. now got to a point where it's affecting your performance. And so you just got to work around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no golden rule. You should have breakfast. I recommend trying breakfast. And I would be more likely to see people's, people's performance improve by having it. I think it just stems from laziness that people aren't having it because they would rather sleep and muck around in the morning than get up and actually cook something.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's really good because you hear everywhere that someone's always got like a really big opinion on that, whether you have to have breakfast or you must intermittent or anything. But the way Liam's just explained it is that, you know what, you have to do what's right for you and what feels good for you. Do what's right for you to a point where it's not affecting how you train, how you function and how you perform and that's that's your own personal. But just remember, goal the only
1: help. way to know what is best for you is to try everything. Yeah. Like you, you can't just say that X is good for me when you haven't tried every other letter of the alphabet.
0: Have you tried keto, lamb?
1: No, I haven't personally. <laughs> I have What's not. your
0: opinions on keto, Liam?
1: Well, there's still a lot of research being done around that area and it's not this big new thing. You know, no. the keto was That's uh, when you
0: don't consume a lot of carbs and you prioritize fat, healthy fats more, by the way, you run.
1: Well, ideally you don't consume any carbs.
0: I cannot. I literally could not function.
1: And I, <laughs> and people that are trialing it are constantly screwing it up as well. They're like I'm not having carbs and they associate pasta and bread and yeah. that sort, and rice with carbs but forget that every fruit okay. and vegetable out there's yeah. also carbs and is still having that so oh my goodness with keto the idea do you, do you even know what the idea of keto is
0: keto genesis.
1: yeah like, do you know what it is
0: it's the well it's when you turn into like a keto state but most people don't go to that state on normal keto diets if they're doing it
1: wrong so the idea is that if you don't consume any carbs... So, right now, your body is wired. It's right? like
0: ketones, isn't it? Like No, up.
1: Well, the idea...
0: <laughs> cool, you talk. Well, yes, it is
1: ketones. <laughs> ketones are going to be your form of energy. But you've got carbs, fats, and proteins like we talked about before. Right now, your body prefers to use carbs as its main form of energy, which is why when you have sugar, you get energised. All right? Your body... Is built to run off carbs. Carbs is your main energy source. Everything has energy in it. It just prefers to convert carbs into a usable energy source. If you do not consume any carbs, your body still has to run. Yeah. So you put it in a state of having no option but to use fat as its form of energy now because it's got no carbs to use at all. So, the idea is that if I am able to train my body to run off fats, then hopefully, if I run out of fat in my system, like if I am not consuming any fat, then it will be likely to go into my fat stores in my body and I will lose fat. But the difference is, is that most people are consuming the same amount of calories, if not more... When they're in keto, because now all their meals are fat and protein. Yeah. Which they don't realize are, are quite high in calories. So they're now going to have three steaks for dinner instead of...
0: Imagine. Right? So they're just <laughs> having
1: all that. And so their total calorie intake is actually larger than it was before keto. And they're not going to lose weight. Yeah. Um, and even if your body gets into a state of not accepting carbs as an energy source and using fat, it's just going to use what you're putting in. As the energy source and nothing's really going to change. The fat that you consume and the fat that is stored in your body are in two different forms. Yeah. Like the fat that, you, that is on a piece of meat is yeah. not the fat that's in your it's body. It has to get converted and stored. Yeah, and your body's sort
0: of not that. Like, we're not cows.
1: <laughs> Although I will say that keto has some benefits. The benefit to the keto diet for some people is that it's eliminated an entire food group so, again, if you are looking to just eat less, you've now got an entire section of food which you can't yeah. touch anymore. But that's just kind of like fasting.
0: Yeah, it's, like, I think the thing with keto is pe- the people that think it works are usually the ones that are actually just in denial of that they're in a calorie deficit. Like, they're just in a
1: calorie deficit. They don't
0: realize. They think it's actually the ketones and the ketosis and everything that's doing it, but it's that they've cut out. like They've still got the meal on their plate where they'd normally have a sandwich and all the filling, but they've taken out the bread and they've got the same filling. So they've got less food on their plate every Correct. day because they've taken out So they're simply all carbs. eating less,
1: they're now in a calorie deficit and they're losing weight. So yeah. that's how... That's the, the denial part. Searching. But there is also some research around, and I don't know it entirely because I haven't put any time into researching that, but I know that there have been some... Uh, They use keto in some cases with people that have got certain diseases and stuff like that. And they have found that a keto diet in some cases, it might have been cancer or whatever, has been helpful in fighting certain diseases. But I would say from a general point of view for a student or anyone like that, that is looking to lose weight, to look to go into a calorie deficit, eat exactly what you want, just less of it.
0: And carbs are usually like one of the cheapest things in a supermarket, any form of carbs. So cutting out all the carbs and looking for healthy fat alternatives just make things really, really expensive. So simply put, buy less foods, you've got less to consume. (laughs) All right, I have saved my personal favorite till last. This personally is what has used to absolutely consume me when I was a little less educated. and I used to just really think it was a be-all and end-all, but I do think there is a lot someone can take from this. Um, and it's all about programming your week and the way you want to work out, how you want to split up your different sessions, um, depending on your goals, like progressive overload. How do I do that? Do I just have to be increasing my weight each week? So this, this is like a massive, massive topic. So we're just going to condense it um, a bit so we can kind of fit it into this episode. But Liam... How does someone start programming for themselves depending on their goals? Where do they start?
1: Go back to that question that we asked, like, whatever, how many questions there? <laughs> which was what is your training goal? Yeah. So first of all, if I'm looking at becoming a better basketballer, I have to look at the parts of being a better what basketballer basketball. that I can train. Yeah. So... There's going to be my teamwork and everything like that. Like my cohesiveness as a team. So there's got to be some time put aside on a regular basis that I train with the team. There are going to be uh, parts of my game that I need to work on. I've got to probably do some shooting practice. I've got to probably do some passing practice. I've got to do this and that, right? dribbling practice. I've then also got to look at the athletic side of things. I want to be able to jump higher. I want to be able to run faster. I want to be able to last longer in the game before my lungs get tired, before my legs burn out. So there's going to be training for that. So you need to, first of all, work out what your goal is. And then you need to look at the different parts of that goal that you have um, control over when it comes to training. That's the first question you need to ask yourself. Yeah. Yeah. If it's for your general person that wants to lose fat and put on muscle, like 95% of people out there, yeah. then you're going to need to address both sides of the equation. All right? Remember, I, want to, I I want to lose weight, which requires a calorie deficit. I want to put on muscle, which requires a calorie surplus. So, already you've got conflicting, you've got conflicting yeah, diets. diets, yeah. You can do both at the same time. You've got to be way more strict with it if you want that to take place, right? So, it's probably easier and more simple for someone to do one part of the equation first and get yourself to a point that you're happy with. Yeah. And then the other. And when it comes to putting on muscle and taking off fat, it's probably easiest to go into a calorie surplus... Put on the muscle that yeah. you want to put on and up. then cut back from that.
0: Yeah. That's why you see like if anyone's ever followed someone that's doing like physique, um, whatever it's called, competing everything, they usually do like a big bulk before they start leaning out because they get all their lifts up. They get really, really strong and they use that fuel to get really, really strong. And then they start cutting the cows back and hope that they can maintain all of that muscle and keep getting stronger yes. as time goes on. So, but yeah. for just the average person... Yep. How would you split up? Would you recommend doing full body every single day? Would you recommend doing a couple of leg sessions, a couple of upper body sessions? How would you split it up for someone?
1: From pure aesthetics. Like I just want to look better. Yeah. And you don't really care about your performance in terms of being a weight. Like I don't care what my deadlift is. I don't care what my squat is. I just want to look like yeah. I have bigger legs. Yeah. Then... Your best to probably group muscle groups together when you go to a gym. Remember, you're trying to damage your muscles. You're trying to break down your muscles. So you can't just scratch the surface of them and move on. Yeah. So if you go to the gym and every day you did full body, the first session you probably didn't do enough to damage it. The second one, maybe not enough. Maybe after doing three sessions in a row, maybe now you've started to break down the muscle to a point that it now needs to be repaired where you are probably better to break them into muscle groups or focus groups and destroy them as best as you can so then they've got an entire potentially week to recover before you hit them again. Yeah. The problem with doing full body, if you did full body every second day is there's no real window for that that full recovery process to take place. But
0: also like you want to be exhausting your muscle groups. I think one of the it was probably like the first thing I learned when I was doing my cert um, a few years ago. And it was about how, if you're doing like say a full body circuit, how you like split up all those exercises. You don't want to start with something like abs, like start with your core because your core is going to be used for the rest of that session, whether you realize it or not. So exhausting your core right at the start of a session just means that towards the end of the session, when you're doing something like legs, your core is so, so weak now and it's so exhausted because it's such a small muscle group. That it's hard to engage it and use it to assist you in your leg movements later. So start with your bigger muscle groups if you're doing something like full body, and exhaust your legs first because our bigger muscle groups they need more attention, and then you can work with those little like accessory things after that. But
1: well, well a good a good session would probably start with a warm up. Yeah, just always. You <laughs> get your heart rate elevated, right? Mm-hmm. You want some blood flowing. You want to lubricate your joints. So you want to move through certain ranges of motion to make sure that everything is working correctly. You then probably want to go into some activations. So you then want to switch on the muscles that you are about to use. So then those muscles are the ones that are likely to fire up when you're doing those particular exercises. So if I'm doing a squat and, and I'm using a <laughs> squat to build my legs, I want to make sure that in that big compound movement that is a squat, that my legs are taking priority over moving that weight. What? Now, naturally, it probably is of the way yeah. the movement is set out that your legs are going to be doing the majority of the work. However, if you want them to fire up or you want certain muscles within your legs to fire up, then you're best to activate them before you're training. And it's probably not a topic that we really need to cover today, but you can activate I could, them. I could. <laughs> and then from there, you start with your biggest movement, probably your more dangerous ones, yeah, because you want everything ones. as fresh as possible for you to perform that at your best. And then as you go down the line, you would pretty much order them from the biggest uh, compound movement right down to the smallest isolation movement so usually i will finish with core if i'm going to put core into my program because your core is at the center of everything yeah and if like you said if if it gets tired then the quality of the movements that you're doing with a bad core is probably going to be greatly um affected you're not going to be able to hold positions properly you know so as long as you finish always being
0: used i think people like don't realize that i think i see a lot of women like just doing a heap of ab exercises but they don't realize that if you're doing a big compound movement like even a hip thrust i'm using my core the whole time to engage like my pelvic like my pelvis and everything but like you're using your core for all these big movements anyway so if you're sitting there doing sit-ups at the end of a session that's probably like not even half of what you've just done already in like your normal whole workout so your core is always always engaged but Activation is, like, one of the biggest things that has helped me because I'm, like many people, very quad dominant. So if I'm doing something like a squat or, like, a hip thrust to get my glutes activated, doing, like, those like anything with a little band has been so, so helpful to get my glutes and then, the, like, the mind-muscle connection has been so, so much better That's what to be able main, to use my glutes.
1: Like, activation is great for that mind-muscle connection, but at the same time, if you are doing a movement that and you're trying to feel a particular muscle group, if you're trying to feel your VMO, your medialis, while you're squatting, mm. and you're not feeling it when you're squatting, that's, that might not be the best movement for you to be doing. Yeah. Like Or like... Everyone's uh, got different length levers, everyone's going to be moving slightly different, everyone's technique is going to be slightly different. Yeah. And so... You're going to might you you're probably going to find that certain movements hit certain muscles on you different to somebody else. And if you're really looking at trying to target one particular muscle group, well, then you're going to need to activate it. Yes, but more importantly, choose a movement that's actually going to target it for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then, like, I don't know if there's actual science behind this, but I usually soup like if I'm trying to work a certain part of like my leg or something, I'll superset my big compound movement with a smaller accessory movement that like is really going to isolate that particular muscle. If you're looking to work. damage
1: a particular muscle to, in, in order to force it to repair and grow later on, then a superset is going to allow you to really fatigue that one particular group. Most importantly, I think for majority of people, supersets allow them to spend less time in the gym because yeah, they're getting more I done in a smaller set. amount of time. But if you are a strength athlete, like with my training, where I don't care about getting bigger, I care about lifting the most amount of weight. I don't want anything in my training when I'm squatting or deadlifting or benching or whatever that is going to affect the performance of my next set. Yeah. So I'm not gonna bother supersetting my bench press with anything. I'm gonna rest five to ten minutes between my sets in (laughs) order to make sure that my next set is of the same quality as the set beforehand.
0: Yeah. And that comes down to goals. Like, Liam, my, like when we were in the gym, when we were in the gym, we will be totally different because we've got completely different goals. I only superset because I am what he just said, like I want to get in and out, I want to be working the whole time, keep my heart rate up as high as it can if I'm doing a strength based session, and like really isolate different movements. But for someone like Liam who wants to be lifting a certain weight and is, more goal focused with numbers for things like that, then that's not gonna, like supersetting things isn't actually gonna help him achieve his goals. Um, so that's a really big thing to remember. Um, with progressive overload, do you wanna explain quickly what progressive overload is first? And then how many different ways you can progressive overload? Because if you don't have access during this time to any more weights, or if you don't have someone to spot you, so you're too scared to kind of go up and wait just yet, there are so many different ways to progressive overload, so can you please explain what it is and how you can do it?
1: Progressive overload is, is exactly what it sounds like. Progressive, so you're, you're slowly building, right? And overload means you're giving something more than what it can take. So what we're trying to do is we're constantly trying to give your muscles more um, stimulation or activity, or damage or however you want to view it then it can hold comfortably because we want to break it we've talked about it a few, multiple times about this you want what you're doing when you're training is you're breaking down your muscle you're breaking down the fibers so then when you do recover those fibers are not only built back but they're built back slightly bigger and stronger so you're constantly trying to break down your muscle By hurting it or breaking it down, you're trying to expose it to more stimulus than it can take. So then that breakdown occurs. What happens when you add more weight to something, more weight than it can handle, is it can start to break. Which is what you want, which is why each week we go. Not like,
0: you don't want to tear a hammy though. Know that there's a difference between breaking your muscle fibers and... Like breaking engine, a muscle. So. Yeah, there's a massive difference, so please remember that.
1: <laughs> right, so you are wanting to add more, in, in, case, in the case of weight, yeah. you add more weight so then your muscle is, is constantly getting broken down. That weight could stay, if I'm doing bicep curls and I'm doing 10 kilos, that could work for three or four weeks. Mm. Eventually, my muscle has gonna, is going to have grown back so big and so strong from that 10 kilos that the 10 kilos now does nothing for me. And that's when I need to go heavier. The problem is is that people feel as though that their muscles or that, that overload needs to take place on, on a weekly basis or even a daily basis. And they go heavier Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and eventually they end up injuring themselves, like you said. Yeah, all so, their techniques wrong. So you usually know you've overloaded like if you're in and we won't get into it too much but if you're trying to put on muscle you're going to want to train in a hypertrophy state so you're going to be training between reps of majority of the time between reps of 8 and 15 right if you got to a point where the weight you were using was now too easy for 15 reps like you could have gone to 20 or 25 that's your cue to go a little bit heavier
0: yeah or, not just heavier, what else could you do?
1: Right, so, going heavier is one way to trash a muscle, but another way, and probably a better way for most people to do, especially in the beginning stages of their training. When we're talking beginning, it's not like the first week, I'm saying the first couple of years yeah. of learning to train. There's so
0: much to learn, like, you've, it is a slow process, I think. Anyone that tries to fast track it, like, understand that it is a really slow process, and it, it's there's a so much years, to enjoy. It's decades process. Yeah.
1: But after you understand, um, once you've gone to the habits of training, once you're understanding how to lift with better te- technique and stuff like that, that's when I feel like weight becomes the chosen progressive overload method. Yeah. Before that, better ways to progressively overload muscles. First would be tempo.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's, so I if I like
1: told you to squat 100 kilos, you might be able to do it for a rep. And then if I told you to take 50 kilos, so half that weight, but spend 10 seconds getting to the bottom of your squat, it might feel just as difficult as the 100 kilo squat did.
0: Because your time under tension is so
1: much longer. It's greater, right? So tempo, adjusting the speed at which you do a movement at is probably one of the easiest, most common ways of, of overloading. It, I like tempo as well because it forces you to be in the correct position for a longer period of time. And if you are in the incorrect position, you, you are you going <laughs> to have to adjust it. You'll know. <laughs> Where if you're bouncing in and out of squats with yeah. a heavy weight, you don't always have the time to be able to adjust your position, to really concentrate on a certain muscle group. That's to so be able good, to feel actually. Anything. So tempo allows you to focus on your technique and form as you go throughout yeah. the movement. Another really effective way of overloading could be simply switching up the movement. So if I always do back squats, then I might look at switching to front squats. All right, You don't have to change the weight there, but what's happening is your body is not used to that particular movement pattern. And again, it's going to shock it like it did at the start and continue to force it to, to grow, which is cool. Along with tempo, you've got pause reps so when you're at particular points in that movement you could pause again it's going to force you to focus on your position it's going to increase your time under tension so you don't need to go any heavier you might just decide at the bottom of the movement to pause for a couple of seconds before you explode out of it so going and adding weight to a particular movement is one way to progressively overload it but it is not the only way and it's a way the weight progressive overload is something I would suggest for someone who knows how to move properly already. Yeah. There's a bit more experience.
0: That's so exciting. Um, I just thought of something I wanted to ask. Oh, big one, um, is lots of people will try to fit into their say, week of workout. So many different things and so many different movements and so many different days of different exercise and everything. What happens when you try and do too much? And what is the beauty of simplicity with keeping the same sort of compound movements throughout a week and maybe just changing like your accessory movements or something like that
1: because when you go onto youtube and you type in how to squat and you get some 20 you know a person with 20 years experience telling you this is how they squat and they change up their squat squat variation weekly and all that sort of stuff that's the advice you're getting it's very easy to think that you need to follow the exact same things as them and adjust your movement every single week in case your body gets used to it and stuff like that like i said the first the and i don't and i'm of the belief that it will never change but at least the first big chunk of your journey you need to dedicate towards learning how to move correctly So if I'm changing between a back squat, overhead squat, front squat, goblet squat and all these other variations of squats on a weekly basis, my body is never going to get good at moving correctly.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important because not only is like learning the correct technique of a movement good for like progressive overload, but it's good to like avoid injury and things like that as well. Like there's so many aspects to learning how to do something properly more than just avoiding injury that you need to remember. So as soon as you try and put too much in and change things too often, your body doesn't actually get a chance to like learn and like, it's like muscle memory. Your body doesn't learn to actually realise what's going on and work with that and tear the right muscle fibres in that specific movement to then start improving. You don't give yourself an actual chance at improving it. a goblet squat if you just do it once every three weeks on a Monday and you do all these other things throughout those weeks as well.
1: There are staples of training. Yeah. And... Those are it's like any, any rugby team, any soccer team, any whatever. You go to a pro level of it where they're paid millions and millions of dollars a week to play. They still practice their passing. They still practice their shooting because yeah. it's such a foundation of their sport and when it comes to lifting those big compound movements especially like squatting like benching like overhead pressing pull-ups you know deadlifts all that sort of stuff those big big compound uh, movements are staples of training and i don't think those should be changed those movements should be touched every single week you'll know if you're doing too much of it when you go back to what we're talking about with recovery where you deadlifted x amount this week next week you tried to do the same thing and you couldn't providing that other things in your life haven't changed between now and those those two sessions if everything was fairly consistent you obviously weren't recovered enough yeah so that's how you know if you've put too much in your training session or not
0: and for anyone that is unsure so a compound movement are those big movements that work multiple muscle groups and they should hopefully take up like majority Of your session, I think bang
1: for your buck. If you're coming from the point of view of trying to burn calories again, because you're trying to lose fat and put on muscle, your compound movements are going to be the most demanding movements when it comes to burning calories. Yeah. As possible.
0: Yeah, and then towards the end of your workout, that's when you do things like isolate, like isolation. Movements, Which are those like all your single leg workouts or your cable things and things like that. So things that are going to well, take functi- away. Yeah.
1: Well, from a functional movement point of view, your body is, is one unit. It's a unit of a whole lot of muscle groups interlinked and working together. So if I constantly trained in isolation, my, my muscles would never learn how to speak to each other. Yeah, like cohesive. They would never work together. And, and that's when injury comes or that's when you know, you get imbalances and stuff like that and you can't raise your arms above your head properly or anything like that. <laughs> if you constantly train compound, you would. Um, the benefit is that your muscles would all learn how to speak to one another. They would know how to contract together, loosen together, all that sort of stuff. The downside to only training compound is that if you had lagging muscle groups genetically everyone's going to have that they might just find that little one thing doesn't work as well as the other compound movements are never going to give you the opportunity to, to target that particular yeah. weakness in the chain uh, in the link of the chains you know like in that link of the chain so you need to have a combination of compound and isolated movements. And if I had to give a percentage, I would probably put 70% of my time towards compound movements. And at and the then, start
0: of your session as well, because you want to use those and exhaust those big muscle groups at the start yeah, as
1: well. Yeah, and then I would go into some isolated stuff at the end for those particular muscle groups that I feel are lagging.
0: Cool. Um,
1: I don't know if that answered it. What was it actually?
0: <laughs> How do I set out my programs? Where do I start?
1: Yeah, so you want to make sure... Good rule of thumb, a good place to start is to make sure that you're hitting each of the big compound movements weekly, right? And making sure that you're separating your movements in a way that allows you to recover properly. So I'm not going... To do big squats today on a monday let's say and then do a whole lot of leg accessory stuff on a tuesday and then deadlifts on a wednesday although they're all different movements they've obviously there's an overlap of yeah, muscle, groups muscle groups being groups. used and so for my personal training i will bench on a monday i will squat on a tuesday i'll then bench again i bench twice a week um when I've had press and stuff like that, I'll put that on a Thursday. So there was a gap between Monday and Thursday were my two kind of upper body yeah. focus days. yeah. And then I'll deadlift on a Friday. So Tuesday and Friday are my big lower body movements. Yeah. And so they have as much time as possible between them in order for me to be able to perform my best. And I know mine is a, for coming from a powerlifting goal. Like my goal is to lift as much weight as possible. But you still need to need keep to that in mind when you're you programming and make sure there is at least a couple of days rest between trashing a muscle group and then touching it again.
0: Yeah, perfect. I think that's actually really useful information for someone that is just getting started and just assumes that programming your own workouts is something that you need professional help for or that someone sort on of Instagram can only really do.
1: It's really helpful to go get professional help. Yeah. Um, but if you do go onto Instagram and you just pick bits and parts out of people's programs you are going to get a lot of overlap in your programs if you've taken one workout from someone and another workout from someone else, which means you're probably not going to get any sort of great result. You're just going to get tired and busted. So you need to, with whatever program, whether you buy the program for someone, you've taken it from somewhere, you create it yourself, whatever it is, you need to follow one program at a time and you need to follow it in its entirety. You need to follow the program. You can't. If if on Tuesday I decided after my bench on Monday that my I didn't really want to squat and I'm just going to do some overhead press and stuff like that, I've immediately screwed up my program. Yeah. So you need to take a program and follow it throughout
0: and stick with it. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't see any results because you'll just be chopping and changing, and your body can't actually adapt to and recognize what's actually going on. But yeah, that's like super helpful for someone that doesn't even know where to start. Liam's just provided you with the basics to actually starting a program for yourself. Um, you've learned what different types of exercises there are, kind of how many you should be looking for for each, and a um, really rough workout split as well. So hopefully that was really great insight for you. Um, that was the six common kind of questions, misconceptions. Liam, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it up?
1: Don't spend money on useless shit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that came in a is lot. so basic. But where there's a group of people that are interested in some in something, there's going to be also a group of people that recognize they can make money from yeah, that, that group. Yeah, unfortunately. And when you pair it with something that people become extremely impatient around, there is even more money to be made because there are so many quick solutions out there that people are, are willing to pay for. So. You have to recognize that if you want results, it's going to take a long time. And if you aren't willing to put in that time and effort, well, then don't expect results. Yeah. Like it's just, it's not for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not willing to train consistently for years, then don't expect good results or those, you know, the, the results that are in line with someone that is going to train for years. Perfect. If you want to focus on health, It's about just staying active, fairly active, and making sure you don't overeat. And that's it. That's not even training. That's just health and well-being.
0: Yeah. And working out what should be going into those different, um, like, the macronutrients and the micronutrients. But, yeah, this was all, like, I hope this helped with just kind of stripping back. A lot of those misconceptions and a lot of those things that people are trying to push towards consumers and push and advertise things and when everyone's sponsored by different things and promoting different things it's really hard to know what's um being promoted because it works and what's being promoted because there's money in it so i hope that um liam's insight was really really helpful of just you know thinking science first um and just stripping everything back and making it really really easy um to make sense of it all if you
1: have money that you want to spend on it. The best thing you could ever do is spend it on a coach. Yeah. And obviously a good coach. Yeah. So make <laughs> when sure... When it's not All sponsoring. I would do is I would go through that coach's um, results. Like what what sort of results have they given people before? Yep. Um, and if that's in line with what you want, and then like it's a pretty good idea that Mantra you...
0: as well. I think like it's really important to... Just like having a good like psychologist, you've got to have a good relationship and believe what they believe. Like if your coach is screaming keto from the rooftops and you're like, I don't know about that one, Like pick another coach, find someone that agrees with your beliefs and your morals and your values.
1: But above all of that, you need to be consistent. This is not like a hobby or a jigsaw puzzle or something that you can do a bit of, go away for a month, come back and it's going to be left exactly how you left it. Yeah with training with your health it's something that constantly has to be chipped away 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 yeah and you need to you need to put constant effort towards it for not a day week month year but years before you start to really feel like you are at the place that you want to be at
0: and that's not to like you know, discredit your, put you off, you know, starting a healthy, active lifestyle. No, but I would rather be honest. That it needs to be maintainable. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's going to take years. And again, if you are, and you can make those years go quicker by putting micro goals in there and stuff like that. Yeah, which I love. Which is the most important thing is like, in 12 weeks time, I need to be here. And then in another 12 weeks time, I need to be here. And that's important for breaking it up. But if you have this end goal in sight. Yeah. That is that is not where you are at the moment. You need to be prepared to chip away at it on a, on a daily basis for years to get there. Yeah. And if and like I said, if you're not willing to do that, then, then stop thinking about those results because you're just not going to get them. Yeah. It's it, it's just stop thinking about. Realistic, it. isn't it? Be realistic.
0: Realistic. That is today's keyword. Well, thank you very much for listening if you got all this way. Um, if you wanna check out Liam, just hit me up or look up Liam, Bones to Braun is his um, Instagram page. More than happy to help. Um, and thank you, Liam, for taking the time um, to give us so much insight. There's so much to learn in this industry, but there is so much that you don't need to bother about. There's so much in there that's just gonna confuse and cloud everything. Um, so hopefully this helped you just kind of strip it all back and make sense of the crazy industry that the fitness and health is. So thanks so much for listening again, and I'll see you very soon in my next episode.